Hello and welcome to season three, episode one of Dualistic Unity. I will be the Earth, but playing the part of Andrew today. And I am not here to be liked. And I just wanted to say that from the start of this episode, because it's so often that that people will make this assumption that because I talk about us being one, because I, I talk about unity and the realization that we are not separate, that means that I'm always nice and that I'm always agreeable and that I always entertain however anybody wants to look at the world. And while I will always try to relate to and empathize with people from their perspective of the universe and themselves and whatnot, that does not mean that I don't address things as they come up according to my own awareness and my own level of empathy. And what I mean specifically here is in having conversations with people, whether they be spiritual people or, or the government or friends or rivals, it doesn't really matter. When you're talking to these people, it, it's really important to remember that you have every right to be yourself. You have every right to be yourself and that in trying to be liked by this person, you are ultimately hurting both of you. Because either they're going to like you and they're going to respect you because of the work they've done on themselves and because you are being authentically yourself or they're not. And if you're trying to pander, if you're trying to play politics to that person, both of you are being deceived by each other. And we end up coming farther and farther apart as a result. And so to me, being one is both pleasant and unpleasant. It's very much like an immune system in the body. You know, an immune system will recognize threats. An immune system will learn from threats. And most of the time, our immune system is working perfectly against threats all the time without us even noticing it. But when we get out of balance, then a fever pops up, chaos erupts, and our body tries to adapt and learn. And then we, we grow from that experience. And that is very much true in conversations. And it's very much true, not just indiv individually, but collectively. And so in today's episode, uh, specifically, we're going to talk about quite a few different things. Actually, we have a lot on the list uh, from the last two weeks, but uh, uh, as well as from today when we are recording this episode, now the right to have an abortion is no longer being protected in the United States. And what's interesting about this is that first, my daughter talked to me about this and she went, is abortion illegal? And that's an interesting point because no, but it's no longer being protected as a right. And we talked about this early on in one of the early episodes about the difference between legal and lawful. There is nothing that is legal that wasn't already lawful, right? Like you couldn't drive a car unless you were lawfully able to drive a car. It's just that you're not legally able to drive a car within the corporation that you identify with, right? And so the same is true for abortion. Abortion is lawful. You have the ability to do it. You have the right to do it. Whether you have the contractual right to do it, according to the uh, corporation that you are part of, is a different story. And so we're going to get into all that as, as the episode goes on. But I, I just wanted to say very quickly, we have a lot to say. So stick around to the end of this episode because it's going to be awesome. Yeah, holy shit. We cannot go another two weeks without this podcast, man. Like I've been all day today. I was like, oh, fuck yeah. I'm so pumped for the podcast later. There's so many things to talk about. But yeah, I mean, if we want to start with like the all the love and light type bullshit, it's fascinating when people refer to that and that's a huge aspect of the spiritual community and it's almost like a cop-out in a lot of ways but it's like if someone's being 
has a message that is potentially harmful to a lot of people. And they're following this notion that everything is love and light, but then they're just spewing bullshit out of their ass. Like, is it still loving and lighting to let it go and allow people to be harmed by it when you have seen the repercussions of those messages and of those stories? And it's not even like they're that hidden. Like they're, they're very much in plain sight in a lot of ways. So it's just very interesting how people will respond to certain things and be like, I kind of see where you're coming from, but like you were very aggressive in the way that you said it. And it's like, I can be like, and I know Ray can be like that too, but like I can be cutthroat and aggressive. And sometimes that is necessary to, to cut through some thick ass bullshit. And there's nothing like there are no rules. There is no thing that we have to follow or a way of acting that we have to follow. Like everything is permitted. Every way of acting is permitted. And just because it triggers you and makes you feel funny about the way that someone says something or, you know, whatever it may be, doesn't mean that it's wrong. Just because your individual perception doesn't necessarily agree with the way that something was expressed or spoken doesn't mean that it's wrong. And it's fascinating how hung up people get on thinking that their opinion of the way someone is acting or the way someone is doing something or explaining a message, them and their individual opinion having a certain viewpoint on it doesn't mean it's the truth. And it may be, and I've had this conversation a few times about, you know, my qualms with religion and and whatnot and how I can be harsh and cutthroat. And it's like the people who talk to me about how, you know, oh, maybe I can, you know, go a little lighter and a little easier. They haven't seen the side where people have very traumatic pasts because of religion. They grew up in fear of going to hell for say they grew up gay and they always knew they were gay. And they had this fear of going to hell the entire time they were growing up because of the way they were, the way they were born. And it's like, you don't, people don't see that side as often and they grow up in certain communities. They don't, they see religion as like this. Oh, just, it's all good. Like it helps people be better. It's like, it also gives people extremely traumatic experiences. So to say that you shouldn't be harsh about something like that, or about certain people spewing certain bullshit messages rooted in fictions and narratives just to put themselves on a pedestal and on this mountaintop and be seen in a certain way as like a spiritual leader or a guru or a religious leader or whatever it may be just because they're doing these things and acting in a certain way. Like there is no objective good or objective bad. And if you can see the consequences of it, like react how you will. And sometimes that's aggressive and cutthroat and, Sometimes that's necessary to rock some boats and make some people uncomfortable in order to get your message across. Yeah. And that's kind of the point, right? Is why are you being so aggressive? Because you haven't been listening. Right. And it's the imbalance. Again, it's the same thing with the, the analogy of the fever, right? Like if we were working together, if we were working as one, communicating, growing, changing, and adapting. There would be no raising of tone. There would be no frustration. There would be none of this because we'd be talking, which means more than likely there would be enthusiasm, maybe some seriousness, you know, a, a little bit of contemplation, some self-reflection, all those parts of the conversation that we really enjoy. 
but instead we take this protective stance or we're defending what we believe and now we're no longer able to work together right and it just it always works that way it does not matter what the situation is whether you're talking about countries or people or families right i mean every rivalry is based on this inability to see the other person's point of view as having some merit or having something to learn from right like um recently uh, a creator on TikTok who we've talked to talked about before, um, Phil Goodlife, had made a, a video saying, what is this trend about criticizing spiritual teachers? Are we not all in this together? Are we not like a team um, where we should be working together and kind of, you know, tackling the world as one force? And it's like, okay, but what you're saying there is that you shouldn't be criticized because your intentions are on their face good intentions, right? It would be help, more helpful to wonder, why are you being criticized? Because a lot of the criticism, and, and admittedly, not everybody brings their criticism to the table with a degree of balance. Some people are hurt and angry. And when they criticize, they are lashing out because of that hurt and that anger. But in other cases where somebody is bringing across criticism from a place that is logical and empathetic, and again, not meant to be an attack so much as just a discussion of what is happening, the behavior at play, the possible consequences of the message that's being broadcasted to people. In that case, somebody who says they're, they're learning and adapting and willing to let go of their ego and surrender and do all that and take the mantle of so-called teacher as a result of all of that process they claim to be going through, that person would not fear criticism. Right? They wouldn't feel torn down because only an ego gets torn down. And if they're claiming to be teachers about the ego, then they should see that in play. Right? And if they can't, then that is the first indication that they are promoting snake oil. Because while the insight might be good, while the message might sound positive, it's coming from somebody who is demonstrating a persona that you are subconsciously looking up to and want to become. You know, Teal Swan, the documentary about her, we, we were talking about that earlier this week in, in the group chat. And I do encourage anybody who hasn't caught that on Patreon to go and do that. It was a great chat. Um, she very much puts herself in a position of, of being needed. She talks to people about their trauma and their darkness and at one point in the documentary, she actually says, who here feels like they're at the bottom of a hole and can't get out? And she just waits as everybody raises their hand. And that is a great way to have people look to you as the way out of that hole, because they've just admitted to themselves they don't see a way out without you. So you've immediately placed yourself in the middle of their journey. And while that might seem useful to them, what it's also implying is that they can't do it without you. And that becomes the addiction and that is the danger. So it's not just about the message. It's also about where it's coming from. Yeah. It's like, what is the root reason for what they're doing? And I think that documentary displays that very well. And unfortunately I wasn't able to get through the first three. I was only able to get through one and the first half of the second one, but I was able to see a lot. And like, I have a lot of notes and like literal quotes that I wrote down from her, just like, what the fuck? And with her, like she expresses many times that she wants to be 
needed and like needs to be needed and has a goal of being the most well-known famous spiritual guru. And, you know, it's not even that people have to work through these things on their own. As long as they follow her, they'll be fine. If they're suffering and they just follow her and, and listen to her message, they'll be totally good. And that's all they ever have to do. Like her message is fucked. Like a lot of it is fucked. It's, it's, and it's so rooted in the distorted idea that we are separate entities. Like it is so rude. Like there are so many things wrong, like rooted in the illusion of duality that she expresses, including her idea of herself as spiritual guru and everyone as this separate, inherently separate thing. And her take on, I was just, it was just getting the part about suicide and her take on that and how it's like a reset button because you are inherently, you know, a soul experiencing a human, but not, you know, the same as all the other humans, something separate. So, you know, you commit suicide and I know it gets deeper into that idea of it. And I haven't gotten into that part of the documentary yet, but like, it's so fucking strange how, how rooted in this that she is, that she can't even see how distorted it is. And she thinks like she is fully engulfed in the belief that she is a hundred percent correct about everything. And she is the most aware person on earth. She says that like multiple times, like there is no one more aware. There was the scene and I hope people listening, if you haven't like paused the podcast or something to go check out this documentary, because it's, it's fascinating. And it shows the, the extent to which snake oil can be uh, taken and the, the severe consequences of it. But one of my favorite scenes and like one of the most fascinating scenes is when the guy in the first episode asks her, like, do you look up to anyone? Is there anyone you look up to? And she says, no, like if, if you take, you know, all the fastest people in the world, put them in a room and then ask them who they look up and take the fastest one and say like, you know, who do you look up to or, or whatever they say in it. And it's like, they wouldn't, they wouldn't look up to anyone because they're the fastest. They know that it's factual. And just like how she says that she's actually the most aware person on earth. She's never come across anyone who's more aware. And like, even that, like that statement is enough for me to tell, like, she's clearly not, she's clearly lost in this illusion of duality. Like if, if you, if you even say something like I am the most aware person on earth, that's all you have to say for me to know that you're not, that you're full of absolute horseshit. And there's so many other parts of that. Like I have so many different quotes written down about it, but yeah, I think also Ray mentioned when, uh, spiritual you know, gurus, whatever, say like love and light, we should all be working together. Like, so we shouldn't be criticizing each other. That is working together. Criticizing each other is working together because if no one went unquestioned, then there would be people would just be getting led down all these messed up paths and like questioning and criticism is an aspect of working together because we all inherently, although we are there is no division. We are all one. We all have our perspectives on things. And while you may be able to see the path that someone went down and accept that they act in the way that they do, 
it doesn't mean you have to agree with it and, and being able to accept but not agree and be able to discern without judgment allows us to move and continue growing and and building on what we have learned as opposed to getting stagnant in believing that we know everything and just getting stuck in the way things are. And that's what happens when people go unquestioned and people just have this idea of love and light. Like we never, ever have to criticize anyone because everyone has their own, you know, idea of what the truth and they're just following their truth. And it's like, well, what if someone's truth is rooted in desiring to become the most powerful spiritual guru on earth? And they don't really care about how messed up they leave people in the process. Like that person should be questioned and criticized in my opinion. And there's just, there's so much more about Teal Swan too, but yeah, I'm excited to get into that. It's interesting, right? Because normally, and the people who would say this, you know, they shouldn't be criticized, we should hold space for this person, would be the first to criticize, though those who are low vibration would be the first to look down upon those who aren't acting in the way that they perceive to be compassionate, right? And so there's this willing blind spot right there. And it's the people who are on that end that they would deem low vibration who do need the most compassion, who do need the, the most empathy, who do need to be looked at and not assumed where they're coming from. It's the people who put themselves at the top that need to be questioned, right? It's the wolves that have the best uh, sheep costume, right? That need to be looked at the most closely. And that's the point is that it is not compassionate to leave the wolves in the sheep pen. Right? It is more compassionate to address the wolves, regardless if the sheep like you or not, regardless if they're like, oh, that's not making me feel safe. Well, I imagine it's not. There's a wolf here. Right. Let's deal with the reality instead of how you feel about it. Right. And that's that's very much the case. And, and there's a few things. And it's specifically that episode, that uh, first episode that you're talking about where she can't look up to other people because she is the most aware person on the planet. Why does there have to be somebody above her? And that in itself, the perception that somebody would be above you says volumes in itself. And I know we're having our own retreat uh, come November. It's going to be an eight-day retreat. If anybody doesn't know about this, you can find more on our website and on Discord. But I would like to say that in that situation, if I was to sit down with a group of you at the retreat and you were to ask me, who do you look up to? And I said this in the last group chat. I would look at each and every person in front of me, right? Because it's not about looking up. It's about seeing. It's about recognizing. It's about aligning with. There's so much to learn when we let down our boundaries, right? And I can't do that while I'm trying to be a self-important teacher, right? It does not work. And, and there's so much that can be said about that. Specifically, I want to talk about, because you brought it up, the idea of, of suicide being a reset button, that is a very dangerous thing to say. And, and while we have said previously that there is no death, life is eternal, and that's true, um, there is something to be said for being an eternal being, because it means you could commit suicide, but there's no real point because you're not going anywhere. And it doesn't change the nature of your dualistic experience, which depending on you know, which incarnation you're born into is going to be different, but there's always going to be suffering and there's always going to be challenge and there's always going to be the potential to lose yourself. And depending on your environment, there's going to be different influences and so on and so forth. So there's always stories. But, and I said this to somebody um, in a, a recent one-on-one -on -one session because we were talking about 
suicide and depression and, and what the purpose is, right? Because for me, after a decade of going through that, uh, of thinking about suicide all the time and ultimately just trying to end my life, I was able to find insights about myself. I was able to embody those insights and now I'm able to express those insights and create ripples in the world that I would not have been able to had I not gone down those paths. And so when you are down at the bottom of that deep down, that deep dark hole, when you've gone down one of those branches or one of those trails that leads you into the darkness, remember that you are developing strength that other people who have not been down that trail can't. You are developing insights. You are looking at different angles of what is that nobody else sees. And because of that, you are adding a ripple to the world that nobody else can. And I've often said this, that I'm you. If you're wondering what I'm doing when I'm dead, you're part of it. You're, the, you're one of the things that I'm doing. And you have the potential to create a ripple that I can't in this incarnation. You have the potential to do everything that I'm doing and more and, and in ways that I couldn't even possibly imagine because I can only imagine things from the, the angles that I've explored. And so rather than looking at suicide as a reset button, look at your, your life, regardless of how dark it might be at the moment, as an opportunity to shed more light for other people who don't know that it exists. You just gotta get through the dark. And to do that, you just gotta keep questioning that dark, question the reality of it, right? Question who you think you are within it as well. And it will start to fade. And that is a process. You don't need to reset. You can, you can make so much out of everything you've gone through. Yeah, and I think if there's, there's one main takeaway that I got from visiting Ray in person, it's that the stuff he talks about, everything he's recognized is not conceptual because he's just been through a lot of shit. Like he's just gone through a lot of different like fucked up shit in a lot of different ways and has just learned stuff from it. Like he has been in the shit and come out the other side and he's seen some stuff. He's been through some stuff. He's clung to illusions and recognized that they're just illusions. So anyone who's clinging, I guess, to another, not to say that you need this podcast by any means, you absolutely do not need anything from us. You have it all within you. But if, if there's someone that you're following who just doesn't really sit right, a lot of people get caught up in the conceptual. They, they read some books and they learn stuff from there and then just kind of regurgitate it. And I feel like it's not that hard to tell because those are the ones who get triggered by it. And even you know, even the stuff we talk about, there's a lot of people who get caught up in the conceptual and it's part of the reason we're very picky with guests because there is a massive difference between living these recognitions and conceptually recognizing them. And I think you can tell, for example, if someone is in a live situation and it's not to say that everyone's super comfortable speaking live and whatnot, but if it's very conceptual, a lot of people will avoid these types of things or get triggered because a lot of times if it is conceptual, you're, you're holding on to some things as opposed to just being the flow. Cause anytime you're clinging to a concept or an idea, you're, you're not in it. You're not in the stuff. So when, when people do have, 
you know, get triggered when their ideas are questioned, it's kind of an easy tell that it's not something that's being lived. And for those, not that we have to get into this right now, but on that podcast episode I was on recently, um, it's called chump change. Uh, you can, it's the last episode that came out. It has my name in the title. Um, if you're interested in it, but it was a lot of, I was getting, you know, kind of put through the gauntlet of questioning, like everything we talk about. And I was giving very logical explanations as to it. And there was just a lot of a lack of attention being paid to what I was actually saying and just a desire to kind of prove me wrong in a lot of ways. And it's not that anything I was saying was right or correct, but it just logically makes sense when you peel back. Like I was starting with very basic recognitions and explaining them. I thought in, in decent ways, at least that if someone is paying attention, they'll see it. But that was not the case there. It was, you can tell, cause there, there are a lot of times where I will go through a longer explanation. You know, I'll spend 10 minutes straight, just talking about question they had or, or whatever. And then rather than continuing to question it or, or take a piece of it, they would just move on to another topic. And so when someone only recognizes it conceptually, it's, it's a lot more difficult to have a live conversation about it because, you know, when you're, when you're in it, when you're living it, there's nothing to remember. It's just what's happening in the moment, what is being asked. Sometimes you have the answer. Sometimes you don't. And when you don't have an answer, it's just, you keep talking about it. You keep questioning and, and going back to, you know, maybe some more basic recognitions and working from there, as opposed to thinking that you need an immediate answer. Cause at the end of the day, it's, it's not the answer that matters so much as the conversation that's, that's being had and the back and forth. And so, you know, when, when you're having this conversation and people aren't paying attention to what you're saying, uh, it can make it very difficult and you can feel like you're just smashing your forehead against a wall for an hour and a half, which is kind of how I felt on that podcast episode. Like, I think my forehead was sore just from, just from the idea of that happening. Um, but it was, it was, you know, like with everything, it's good practice for me, it's process. And, and I think recognizing too, that I have to be a little bit more like a little easier on myself and to think that I could, you know, completely take someone who's, who's deeply rooted in the illusion of duality and like explain my way through getting them to recognize all of the illusions that they're clinging to. That's like putting a lot of pressure on myself. And so I, I was getting frustrated, but after a day, after I reflected on that, it was like, all right, I mean, an hour and a half. You, and that's the other thing is you, you can't wake anyone else up. You can't, you can bring a horse to water, but you can't get it to drink. You could have the most clear explanations in the history of existence. And if they're not willing to hear you, they're not going to. So I jumped around all over the place there, but um, yeah. No, if there's a wall of what I think I know, I can't hear anything you have to say, right? And that's very much how the conversation went to a large degree. I mean, there were times when you would explain things and there was this immediate gotcha, then kind of a laugh. And you'd go on to explain how that wasn't a gotcha, right? And then they would kind of ignore you. And again, conversations can go that way. 
it's very difficult, as you said, to get anything across to people, especially in a conversation where you're trying to be pleasant and civil because the, the barrier is their determination to think they know, is their determination to hold on to who they think they are. And so the only way in those cases that you're going to get through, unfortunately, is to talk about that wall, which is to immediately make them uncomfortable, right? And that's where the conversation could have went, but you'll notice that the tone of that podcast would have totally changed had you suddenly started asking, well, why do you keep jumping to an assumption and then not questioning it any further, right? Like, why do you hold on to this, right? Rather than just entertaining it, let's say, let's say both of our perspectives are true, right? Because there, there was a lot of those moments where he had good points. Both of them had good points, but then they stopped there and it kind of on to the next question. It's like, well, let's keep exploring that, right? Like at one point um, he was talking about how time is real. And you were saying, well, it's just the experience of the moment. No, nope. half an hour ago happened. And you're like, but it happened right now. Even the memory of it happening is right now, right? And it's like, right, right, right. And then they went on to kind of derisively shrug it off as right, right, but there's time. And, and you know, we all know for sure that there's still 6.30, right? It's like, okay, hold on, you're missing the point though. They're making um, a mistake in thinking that time and change are the same thing, right? We experience change and we try to gauge how much change is happening according to time. Right? That's what time is, is us trying to measure the procession of change, but it's always change in the moment. Right? So regardless of how things may have changed from when you were in the elevator to when you're in the, in the room, it's still now. That change is not time. It's still just change in the moment. Right? So there was all kinds of lessons there, but again, I'm busy trying to make a point and still feel confident about my perspective of the world because I rely on it. And that is the problem in having those conversations is that if you're not willing to question yourself, it's very difficult to have um, a genuine and authentic experience communicating with somebody. It's very difficult to learn anything from somebody if you've already decided, I know everything I need to know. And that's pretty much the, the whole thing that you, you went through in that conversation. And I still say, you did a fantastic job. You were very, very calm. You were very patient throughout it. And I imagine that was quite challenging. And I know, I know that's quite challenging because I've been through those situations many times. But overall, I would say that it's in experiences like that. It's in conversations like that where you do see the work that you've been doing, where you do get to practice maintaining that awareness. Like, am I rising to this? Does this person drive me nuts? Right, because I, I communicated with uh, that person after the fact via Instagram, um, after complimenting you on, on the job well done during their podcast, regardless of, of how you were being treated or how you were being questioned, they got quite upset with my review uh, of their behavior. And, um, and so we went back and forth for quite some time and, and ultimately nothing was resolved. The conversation quite literally ended with, well, I think I'm a really smart person, even if I don't know what you're talking about. So I'm just going to end it there. Okay, so you're right back at where you were during the entire podcast. Yeah, it is fascinating to see that. 
at play. And one of the funniest parts, and I think I think people would, if you can get through it, enjoy the episode. But because we talked a lot about identity and the double-edged sword of ego, as much as it can help, you know, build you up, you get pats on the back, you feel good, you've accomplished these things in your life, you got some stuff hanging up on your wall, you feel great about all that stuff. That same clinging to that idea of yourself is going to be what tears you down. It's it's no matter how great that idea of yourself is, it gives you something to defend. And that's a very shaky chair to stand on. And the funniest part is with the guy I was trying to explain that to, he couldn't get over the idea that what if you have a positive idea of yourself? You know, what if, what if I, I feel good about my idea of myself? I don't have a negative idea of myself. It's like, it's still a double-edged sword. And the funniest part is that it was on full fucking display as a result of Ray's comment on one of my, the videos that they did a, you know, collaborator thing on reels on Instagram. So like it got shared to all of my followers and all Ray said was like, you did a great job despite their what youth and insecurity or something like that. Yeah. And then it was like a fucking tirade. Oh my God. It was unbelievable. And then he started sharing like Ray's profile and videos on his Instagram story. And it's like, dude, go back and listen to the podcast. Everything I was saying about this positive idea of yourself and the the pitfalls of it, like it's on full display. You're like, you're enacting it right now. It was unbelievable. It was, I guess not that unbelievable, but it was fascinating to see given the sense that I had of them while I was going through it is like, Oh, they, you know, have this idea of themselves and they sort of had, have this shtick. And even, you know, you can read on their podcast description that, you know, one of them is, you know, this type of guy, one of them is this type of guy. And they very much like stick to those ideas throughout the podcast. And it's almost like they're trying to be that description that they've expressed through the idea of, you know, their podcast description. And, it's so it was so funny to see that like in action like directly as a result of the episode where i expressed to them the the pitfalls of clinging to identity as the truth and it was like it was on full display right after like right after they posted it it's unbelievable and that's kind of where what we were talking about in, earlier in the podcast really comes in because I said that very specifically because it was true that a lot of their behavior was due to their age and their insecurity, which is obvious. If you're familiar with your own insecurity, you just have to watch how they talk and how they communicate and how often they need to be derisive or how often they've already decided that they know better. And so by simply stating what is, not vilifying them. I'm not saying you're bad people as a result. I'm not saying anything that's an insult so much as just a statement based on their behavior. Well, we couldn't have that. The first response was, oh, shots fired. And I said, not shots fired. And then it just kind of fell apart from there. But where I think where the practice comes in is that throughout that conversation, and I encourage people to go and check it out if you'd like to, I wasn't upset. There wasn't anything about the conversation that was upsetting me and I wasn't vilifying that person. But of course he felt attacked. 
because he had that idea of himself as being very confident and everything I was saying was slowly just kind of chipping away at his belief in that image, right? And so he had to lash out and he did so in full force, absolutely. And what I always find very interesting is that people will typically fall back with, oh, you're just mad, you're just angry. I'm not angry. You're just mad I questioned your belief. You never questioned my belief. I left a comment about your behavior and you lost your shit. You never questioned me. We never had a conversation, right? And at no point did my beliefs come into this, just a lot of assumptions about what my beliefs might be. And then a judgment against me for wearing a dress, which I thought was really, really funny um, because that just shows exactly the kind of insecurity that I'm talking about. So um, all of that is another opportunity to learn, but the, the lesson is, is that you can address it without rising to it and making it a problem. You can have communication with somebody and never let it become about proving them wrong. It can just be about the communication. And I've said this in previous episodes. I love going back and forth with people in the comment section. I'm there as long as you are, right? If you are willing to continue talking to me, I am willing to continue talking to you because as long as we're talking, we're changing and we're growing and we have the opportunity to find cracks in that wall, whether it's yours or mine or both. Right. But when the conversation's not going anywhere and you know that, then you can do one of two things. You can walk away from it or you can talk about why it's not going anywhere. And that causes a whole other kind of conversation. Yeah. Another another aspect or, or part of the podcast that um, that that we discussed was the idea that right now is the only thing that ever is and the only thing you ever experienced. And it's almost like I think of that as a rhetorical question. And they tried to argue that, you know, no, perceptually, they kept saying perceptually, they, they haven't experienced right now. And it's like, no, it's, it's always right now. You've never experienced anything outside of right now. And so we went back and forth, obviously, on the podcast a few times. And, and it got to a point where he's like, well, it's a tricky question. I was like, it's really not like this is this is basic. This is shallow shit right here. Like they talked about how it was a very deep conversation. Like it didn't even touch any aspect of any dualist community episode we've ever done. It wasn't even close because we couldn't get out of the shallow end because they tried to refute every basic recognition that isn't that hard to see if you are able to get yourself and and your ideas about the way things are just a little bit out of the way because part of the illusion is thinking that is rooted in the idea that we're more than just right now like we are this idea and my past is what i am and all of these things and recognizing that right now is the only thing you've ever been only thing you ever have been only thing you ever are is is freeing in a lot of different ways but if you're caught up in trying to be correct you get super nitpicky about things and it's like you can't even see just basic truths and he kept going back to this idea that like well no one knows anything no one's right i'm right you're right we're both wrong also it's like okay dude like it's not that hard to recognize that right now is the only thing that's ever been and i i was asking you know like what have you experienced outside of right now it's like well, what do you mean? Like this conversation was 10 minutes ago and it's like, yeah. And when that conversation happened, it was right now. And when the rest of the conversation happens, it will be 
right now. Like it's very, it's very basic. And we actually, so they posted a clip of that on Instagram and kind of continued. <laughs> I commented like, it's, it's the only thing you've ever been. It's the only thing that ever is, is right now. Even when you're remembering something that happened in the quote unquote past, you're remembering it right now. When it was experienced, it was experienced right now. You've never experienced anything outside of right now. And so I even put it on my Instagram story, like still waiting on the first thing that's ever been experienced in the history of existence outside of right now. And I tagged them. And then he went back and forth in the comments. He never told me any answer. He never gave a single answer through the probably what ended up being hours of back and forth about that. He was just arguing with, I don't even know, because he couldn't, he never gave an answer. So it's like, it was fascinating that we spent that long going back and forth. I was asking a very basic question in every one of my comments. I was like, please, 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 could you please tell me the thing you've experienced outside of right now? I'm, I think we could make an entire episode based on that experience. Like you could make an entire podcast on that experience. It would be so fascinating because it's never happened ever in all of existence. And he never gave me an answer. And so it was so funny that, you know, you just go back and forth and eventually just stopped responding to, to comments. And that's usually how it goes. Yeah, absolutely. And it is a bit of a shame because I mean, on the one hand, the, the one co-host of, of the podcast was very curious and well-spoken and communicative. And, and, you know, he asked good questions. Um, but there is this dynamic between the two of them where you can tell he looks up to his cousin a little bit. And so when his cousin's derisive or when his cousin's acting confident or when his cousin is basically talking out of his ass, he follows along. He gets the kind of the same smirk or the same kind of chuckle or chortle. I like the word chortle myself because it sounds so much more accurate. But the, the point being is that that dynamic can change. And I said that to, to the, the guy when we were going back and forth that you could learn from this experience your podcast could improve as a result of the feedback that we're giving you regarding your behavior or not, right? And that entirely depends on you. And it still depends on them and what they do with the communication as a whole. But as long as they're still in the, in the state of mind where, well, we're sure Andrew had a good time, regardless of your feedback. Have you talked to Andrew? Right? Because I think that perhaps his feedback might be different. Right. But that was their first response. Andrew had fun. What, what's your problem? Right? And it's like, that's, that's exactly what it is, is that you're telling me what reality is instead of taking in reality, right. Instead of listening to people who would talk to you. And so that is something that we very much try to avoid here on the podcast. I admit that I am not the easiest person to get along with, but I do definitely try to be empathetic. And I do try to look at everybody's, everybody else's point of view as being relevant and, and, and right to them at the time. And if I can see where they're coming from, then I can gain an insight from it. I can learn. My, my worldview can become even more complete as a result. But if I'm busy telling myself, my worldview is as complete as it's going to get. I, I, you know, if, if we were to put all the people in the world in a room and measure the fastest, you wouldn't ask him who he looks up to. Like if I was to take that stance, the podcast wouldn't go anywhere. It would just be me sitting on a soapbox saying what I think I know. Right. Whereas every episode I learn from Andrew, 
every episode I learn from the conversation, every episode, every, every even in, in between every episode, I learn from the audience, I learn from the questions, I learn from the discord, I learn from the world, because it's all me, right? And that is a very important part of this conversation. And it's unfortunately the reason what you were saying in that podcast wasn't coming across because you're speaking a different language. You're talking about a different experience that they haven't had. They are still looking at, at themselves as human beings in a separate physical world that they're not attached to, that they're just trying to survive within, right? And you're trying to look deeper than that. You're looking past the biology. You're looking at the, the existence of awareness in itself, the experience of subjectivity, which is as deep as you can go, right? So that's why I think you faced a lot of that resistance is because not only are you talking about something that maybe isn't familiar to them, you're talking about something that's going to shake the ground that they walk upon every day. Yeah. And I think the more conversations that I have, the more sensitivity I'll, uh, I'll have for that recognition. Not that I have to be, you know, nicer or anything. Cause Obviously I was not. actually, yeah, I was actually very, cause while it was happening, it, it took, a day or two for it to like settle in and for me to re-listen to it, which I wasn't able to re-listen to it for a couple of days. And that's when it sort of hit me afterwards. It was just like, all right, it was just a conversation where they didn't get very much. And I just had to keep trying to explain things in different ways. And like, there's a benefit to myself. And that was like initially what I saw. So initially I was like, oh yeah, whatever, you know, it was fine. I just found different ways. And then as I listened back to it, it was like, oh, wow, they really weren't even listening to what I was saying. Because as I was in it, it was just, you know, the back and forth, you're kind of in the conversation. You're not really like thinking about it as you're in it as much. And it wasn't until I had time to reflect to realize like, oh, they're really not really listening to me <laughs> exactly. Like they have this idea. And because and, they started out the podcast by listening to one of my TikToks. And so it was kind of became clear after a couple of days that it was like, oh, so they kind of prepared to question that TikTok because they didn't agree with it. They thought it was fascinating. They thought it was interesting, but they came at it in like debate mode. Like we're going to prove this stuff wrong because I'm a smart guy and I'm going to be able to prove this guy wrong who has, you know, a bunch of followers or whatever. We got him on the podcast. Now we're going to prove his ass wrong. It's like, it's just a very hostile way to go about having guests on a podcast. And it's not to say it's wrong. Like it, there's aspects of that that I think are important. It's it, you don't want when you have a guest on to just like cater to them completely and just, you know, make them feel good the whole time, you know? But um, it was interesting because there is a balance to be found. And I think they, had a lot to learn from that. And I think maybe one of them will be more willing to learn from it because I've spoken to him. Um, the less the, the one that was actually listening to some of the things that I was saying during it, um, just about it. And I think he will learn a lot from that episode because they they kind of have this or want to have this like twang of humor in it. And like we're all like we laugh a ton on this podcast. We love keeping things light, but it's like you want to get deep, we'll get deep. And if you're going to try and get me to go deep and then laugh at the things I'm saying, it's like, 
that's not really the same thing as keeping things light. Like if you're actually trying to learn about the perspective that I have of reality as reality, then laughing at my responses that are not, you know, mainstream recognitions is probably not the best way to go about it. If you ask me. <laughs> Absolutely. Which is why our, our past guests have been people who may have different perspectives, but are willing to question them for the most part. You know, we don't have a segment of dualistic unity where we deliberately invite people onto the show that we just want to hammer on their beliefs because that would be a very different show. Trust me, I've considered it, but it's not something that we want to do because it is, and it can potentially be more confrontational than is useful, right? And the fact is, as we were saying earlier with uh, Teal Swan focusing on the deep dark pit that you're in, that doesn't help. Focusing on the problem in society, while it's helpful and you can learn from it, doesn't necessarily help it go away if you're fixated on it as a problem. Right. In the same way, communication can't continue to evolve if you take a stance that what's being said to you is a problem rather than just something that, that needs to be addressed. And I think that's very much the theme of this episode so far is that unity has nothing to do with being pleasant and agreeing all the time. Right. That growth, in fact, goes both ways. Growth oscillates between pleasant and unpleasant. You know, we, we, we suffer and we gain strength and that is how we grow. And on that note. I would like to return to the subject of the U.S. ban on, on uh, abortion protection, because I think this is important in uh, I think this is important in a way that we have yet to really come to terms with, because I think the uh, approval rating for the Supreme Court in the United States at the moment is twenty five percent. I think that's that's the status of today. Um, I know. Congress and the U.S. as a whole, their um, or the U.S. government as a whole, their, their approval rating is way less than 50% and has been for a long time in general. And I know that less than half the population was voting up until very recently. And then there's, there's a surge in voting, which hasn't done a damn thing because the system is still exactly as it is. It's just everybody feels like they're participating more. And so we have to start looking at this collective conversation in the same way that we look at the conversation that we have, whether it be with the podcaster or with a so-called spiritual guru, anybody who would have us follow them on blind faith should be challenged. And it's because when they're not challenged, you end up in this situation where they're able to cause havoc on your life and so many other lives. And so I just wanted to bring this up quickly because it, it's, it's very important as this uh, ban on abortion protection is eventually going to turn into potentially a ban on same-sex marriage, which will potentially become a ban on uh, the right to contraceptives, which may filter down to a bunch of other things. And so we're going to talk a little bit about the system uh, in this episode. And so I hope you follow along. I'm going to try and keep it light as much as possible. There is a light at the end of this deep, dark tunnel. I know a lot of people right now are feeling uh, fairly disillusioned and a bit hopeless because of this ruling. And so it's our hope that through this conversation, you'll see that uh, there's potential in it. Yeah. And I also just want to start with like, it's okay to be very frustrated by this stuff. Like I'm just like going through the potential tirade or process that this might lead to or cause an effect, you know, whatever it may be is nothing short of very infuriating. And to see 
a system that is so rooted in this illusion, like especially seeing the illusion for what it is, is like when you see people acting in this way, like so lost in it, it's understandable because everything around us is reinforcing that illusion. But at the same time, it's fucking insane. It's fucking nuts, dude. Like, what the fuck? Oh, my God. Holy shit. Like, that is my reaction to a lot of these things is just like, what the fuck? Like, and uh, there's so many aspects of it that are and so many illusions that people rely on to make these decisions, like something like, you know, religion or a belief system or anything is like, that's why these decisions, a lot of them are being made in the way that they are. This belief that there's fucking man sitting in the sky, like that created all of us is like fucking asinine. Like it's so like people stop believing in Santa Claus when they're 10 years old. Like, can we stop believing in sky daddy? Because it's, it's impacting our society to a degree that is way bigger than it should. And because of this silly, like, and ridiculous belief, it's impacting so much of our lives. And it's interesting, like when, when things like this happen and, you know, with something like abortion, Roe, Roe v. Wade getting overturned, like it's, it is a specific ruling. I think it's in the state of Mississippi and, but at the same time, so like some people are like, oh, you know, it, you know, it, it doesn't, it's not making abortion illegal. Like people can still get abortions if they want, but like, they don't see that when the powers that be sink their teeth and claws into things they don't let go you know we see it we talked about this a, a, a while ago the idea of income tax like that was supposed to be a temporary event we're still paying income taxes and the reasons that it was implemented don't still exist and yet it still exists so you have to wonder when things like this happen they're not gonna go back if anything they're gonna lead to more fucked up shit and so it's important in situations like this to like nip it in the bud, as they say, or else it can lead to more and more. And as they gain more and more power over us, like they're not going to let up. They're going to step on the gas when it comes to that and, and inflict more of their will on those things. So to start out, I just want to express that like, this is infuriating. This is frustrating. Like there's nothing about it that says you have to be like, Oh, it is what it is. You know, as much as I recognize that, you know, maybe getting super frustrated about it won't directly have an impact at the same time, it does create ripples. And there could be people who aren't really sure how to think about it. And someone speaking out and expressing their point of view on it and maybe getting animated and frustrated may help some people to be like, oh, this is a little more fucked up than I thought. Like this might have more of an impact than I thought. This is pretty ridiculous. And so there's nothing that says you have to be, you know, docile and just sit back and, and not take action. But at the same time, recognizing that it starts with us. We talk about society so much and it's like, 
society isn't something separate from us. We are society. We are what makes up society, just like we are existence itself. We are the world. We are the earth. So at the end of the day, the, the most impactful thing you can ever do is be the change, be the change that you want to see. Stop trying to change everything outside of yourself. Just have the conversations, just be open to talking about it and discussing it. And it's, but it starts from within. And I think it's important to keep that in mind. So see where you're at when it comes to, you know, causing yourself, even when it comes to suffering, like causing yourself suffering, like letting go of that will reduce human suffering because you are humanity. You are the world. So whatever it may be, like it starts, it starts with us. It starts with me. It starts with you. Yeah, absolutely. And very much in the same way that I have felt for years that addressing spiritual snake oil is worthwhile. Addressing this problem is worthwhile, but it's going to take both awareness and commitment and some enthusiasm to pull off anything that, that's uh, long-lasting, anything that's going to actually change the system rather than just become a band-aid that the system uses for its own benefit down the road. Because let's look at the history, right? Like when we talk about abortion, you have the ability to have an abortion as a human being, a system that claimed ownership over your grand, grand, grandparents taught them abortion is a sin and everybody in that system judged them for it. And then they raised their kids as such and they by habit or, or under duress agreed to live in that system generation by generation by generation. And that system continued to put itself in deeper and deeper positions of power where it could just tell us what to do. But we were born into that system, right? Having an abortion is still your right as a living being. You have the ability to, to do it. You have the ability to get help doing it. That's just the fact. But then the system said, no, you're not allowed. And because we grew up thinking, oh, well, obviously if the system says no, then that's what I'm supposed to do. They were able to do that. And then what I find funny and tragic is that when we started saying, well, we should have the right to do this, we're human beings, the government, the federal government came along playing the savior and said, well, don't worry, we'll protect your right to have an abortion. That shouldn't have ever needed protection. It should have never been in question to begin with. And so we continue to play the same game of looking to the system to give us the ability or to grant us permission to do something that was always within our power as human beings, as the actual reality that exists, as opposed to the structure that we've created to try and make sense of the reality that exists. So with all of that in mind, keeping in mind that again, rallying against this system is not gonna change the fact that it is solidifying power all the time when it's not dividing us to remind us that we need it, it's bringing us together under its umbrella, right? It, one way or the other, it's always trying to keep itself alive. It's always looking towards its own best interest. And so with that in mind, um, if you wanna do something about this, then it's time to start wearing away at the foundation of this system, which means civil disobedience. It means looking at where we can actually hurt these people in power, such as in their wallet, start investing in cryptocurrency, start getting your money out of fiat currency, which is very much a part of their power structure. Uh, start building businesses, 
strictly with cryptocurrency, get it away from the government, start selling uh, products in cryptocurrency, start investing in cryptocurrency, get away from the fiat currency that helps run this machine. And very, very quickly, they will start listening to the people that they depend on to keep this machine running. But it's important that we remember, we don't ask permission from the system we put in place. Right? There's a reason majority rules is because th that majority can stand up and say so. So it is time that we did that instead of expecting the system to just recognize our right, because the system will only recognize something that's in its own interest. And so I think personally, anybody who is tired of this tyranny, anybody who is tired of the Supreme Court making rulings like this of people like Trump, watering down the system to make it possible for a Supreme Court to do this, for a political party like the Republicans to water down the system and through gerrymandering and, and, and rigging the election over generations. If you're tired of this, then it's time to rise up. I, I'm calling for a straight out strike. Strike. If, if you're tired, strike. Stop working. Stop supporting the system. Find a way. Find a way to work together. If you know somebody and they're not able to get an abortion in their state, organize with friends, get a bus, drive them to another state, find a way to work around this system because they are not going to listen to you. And when they do, that's when you should be suspicious. Amen. And, you know, even when it comes to, I guess, anything that is made illegal, a lot of times my, one of my arguments for something like psychedelics, when people say like, oh, well, you know, it's illegal, so therefore it's bad. And I think being illegal has just created this massive stigma. And I, and I always ask, you know, like, well, have you ever wondered if maybe the reason that a governing entity makes something illegal is not because it's bad for you, but because if everyone did it, it would be bad for it, for the ones making the rules. And I think people sometimes don't always recognize that. They don't recognize that they don't always have your best interest in mind. They almost never have your best interest in mind. They have their best interest in mind. So they are going to create laws based on that. We saw it with Pfizer and the vaccination process. Like they all had their hands in Pfizer's pocket and Pfizer had their hands in governing officials' pockets. And guess who's making the laws requiring people to take something that Pfizer creates so that Pfizer can make more money and therefore make them more money. And it's this fucking circle of just fucked up bullshit. <laughs> That's like the only thing I can think of. But you got to wonder, like a lot of times, if ever, do they ever actually have your interests in mind? I would argue it's incredibly rare slim to none percent of the time, do they have your best interest in mind? It's their best interest. So for people to so quickly assume that the laws that are created are to keep them safe, you know, for something from abortion to, you know, monetary policy to psychedelics, like it's, they were, they've been able to infiltrate our minds in such a way that we have, they have actually been able to convince us that they have our best interests in mind and, and things that are illegal are inherently bad for us. And you can, it's not that hard to see that. Like, 
one of the worst drugs on earth is is alcohol and that's perfectly legal you can go down to the store today buy something that isn't even that much liquid chug the whole thing and be dead within a couple hours like it's that easy but that's legal i don't think i don't know if anyone's ever died from mushrooms it's it's so fucking insane and yeah so when it comes to crypto as well like i know ray mentioned that as like a, a very specific point of putting your money into crypto creating businesses based on crypto and i i know a lot of people write crypto off and they're like oh why are these guys like bringing up crypto it seems like it doesn't make any sense like if you understood how important fiat currency is to a system you would start putting your money into crypto if you were had issues with it like that is their lifeblood the currency the us dollar is the lifeblood of the system that we're talking about so one of the simplest ways is to get into crypto start looking into i've done a lot of i'm you know more specifically into bitcoin than anything else but like if you start looking into those things and the history of currency and money and all of that, you'll see that it is incredibly important. And you'll see why all of these politicians have such visceral reactions to cryptocurrency, you know, when it's being used for the Canadian truckers, like they they ban that. They they like did everything they possibly could to shut it down because as that grows, as people see that, oh, I don't need you know, fiat currency. I don't need the US dollar actually. I can I can use these other currencies that are outside of this system, the system will begin to crumble. And I'm very, very excited to see that happen. Yeah, likewise, because that is the underlying problem is that the system is too big and too disconnected from humanity to adequately serve humanity. Because there are people in the system who really do think they're doing what's in your best interest. You know, there are people in the banking system who really do think that what they're doing in terms of, uh, of manipulating the money supply is in humanity's best interest. It is very easy to convince yourself that you are doing something for everybody else, especially when you're benefiting from doing so. It's kind of like, um, you, don't, you don't question where your authority is derived from, typically, right? Because it's your authority. Why would you question it? That would undermine your authority. And, and so often that is the problem. And so when we look at the system and the people, it's not that they're bad. It's not that they're trying to hold us down. It's just that the environment that they exist within facilitates the very worst parts of them. It makes them able to, with anonymity, crush whole segments of society under a rule that they've never met and have nothing to do with. Right? And they see that and they look at it in terms of, of the, the numbers or they look at it in terms of polls or they look at it in terms of who's going to vote for what. And there's no humanity in it because they're not interacting with those people. And so small local governments, as we've talked about before, is the only way to address that. It's the only way to come to a place where everybody who has a stake in the decision is part of the decision making process. Right. But. Typically in the past, that was very difficult because we didn't have a way to exist as a local government and work with other governments. So we branched together and we conglomerated and we made it into larger governments as a way of facilitating trade, as a way of working together. And we forget that because, of course, the people who are in charge of those governments were at the top 
right? And we're trusting them. And over generations, they're just solidifying their power. And there's less and less and less for everybody else who built the system for them, right? And so now that we are where we are, we can create small local governments. We can come together and support one another. We can decide to make you know, uh, support for people who want to have abortions available in our communities. We can make support for people who are homeless available in our communities, regardless of what the IRS or, or the Canada Revenue or the government might say. We can do these things, but they're never going to say we can do these things. We can't wait for their permission, right? We have to push the boundaries here. We actually have to start pushing back because if we don't, this fever will kill us as a species. We will find ourselves in such a state where we don't even remember what life is worth living for. And I think that that's where we're getting to right now in a lot of ways. And you can tell by the suicide rate, you can tell by the amount of people who are feeling despair, who are feeling hopeless when looking at the way the world is going. And it doesn't matter which angle you wanna look at it, whether it's environmental, um, economic, in terms of war, it doesn't matter. It's all falling apart and it's all falling apart because we're trusting the systems to take care of us, but the systems aren't working. The systems cannot work because they don't have the empathy and the insight that drives us to do better, that drives us to aspire to more. We just end up going to work. We end up, even if you had a job at a charity and you're like, yeah, I'm gonna help the world. After a year or five years, you're not thinking about the world. You're thinking about when does my paycheck come in so I can pay for my mortgage and possibly get a vacation at the end of the year. That's the problem, right? Is that we take our aspirations and we structure them and then we completely lose sight of the fact that we're working together. And so to counter that, we have to find ways to come together, which means a lot of different changes. I mean, real-time voting, we've talked about this. We have the ability to do this where we don't have political representatives, but every vote is facilitated in real time by everybody who has an electronic device and wants to vote on it. So we can actually decide where the system's going. We can get rid of political parties entirely because God, if that's not the worst cancer on politics that has ever come to be, I don't know what is. Because then you're just towing the party line. Right? Nobody's arguing the merits of their point of view, right? except to get elected. And then their point of view doesn't matter because then they're towing the party line. right? So all of these things can change. And admittedly, and I want to say this because I was doing research into this earlier today. Right now, uh, there are a number of NFTs on the market. Uh, if you don't know what an NFT is, it's, it's involved with the cryptocurrency world. I encourage you to go and check it out. But there are a number of NFTs on the market that are in support of programs that are helping women find abortion clinics, that are in support of working against the decision that this system made today. So if you can go out and invest in those NFTs, that is going to help. It's also going to take money out of the system that is enabling these tyrants. And so that is a very simple move that you can do. Now, I'm not gonna lie, we want to do the same, but we are at a point right now with the dualistic unity uh, DAO where we're not ready to invest in these NFTs yet. We have a bunch of our own NFTs that are currently for sale for anybody who wants to be a part of our DAO, but our intention is very much to make a model of this smaller government in our DAO, to have all of our voting members be able to decide what kind of a ripple the DAO makes. And if that is not exactly what we can do in our local communities with the people that we actually know and care about, 
I don't know what else is because that sounds ideal to me in a world where we can connect to one another across, across the planet to facilitate change. It seems like we're just limiting ourselves by holding on to a system that was designed by people 300 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Ugh. I think that's one of my favorite aspects of dualistic unity and everything that we're doing as well is because we fully recognize that change comes from within. And I think everyone who's, you know, the 350 some odd members of Discord and 80 something odd Patreon members as of today, we recognize that it comes from within. And it's the only way to create change. There are a lot of people with a lot of lofty ambitions and aspirations, and they're going about it trying to change everything from without in a way like like i don't even know exactly how to explain it but just coming at it from the idea of, of not having to change themselves and just going and changing because they recognize that there's a lot of fucked up shit out there and it's not to say that the way they're going about it is wrong but i think we've just seen over and over and over those models and and desires get squashed very quickly because it's it's almost like punching someone from like your your arm being away from you versus being close to your body and when you're able to build from within and build sort of like a solid foundation before you go out and start you know making external quote unquote change there's a lot more impact because it's not as easy to squash something that's been building and, and a wave that's been building for X amount of time with, with a certain mentality of not necessarily trying to change it for the idea of themselves or from a, from a mentality of still being caught in the illusion of duality, but recognizing that the only thing we ever have to do is change ourselves. Like Ray and I fully recognize that we could sit in these rooms that we're in right now, filming this podcast and not do anything and make more change than we can probably imagine just from changing our mentality within. But as that mentality is able to be expressed in the world, as opposed to, you know, being caught up in, you know, staying in the forest for your entire life or going up on the mountaintop and, and trying to become enlightened and not being in the shit, there's a lot more impact that can be made from within the shit, especially when you recognize that you're also the shit, <laughs> like you're it as well. And it's great that you're able to have a discernment towards it and a point of view that allows you to see more clearly how lost in it we've become and as you change yourself as you just have the conversations like we have in dualist unity things change ripples are made and and it changes with us not necessarily because of us or because of what we're doing but as us like we are we are the change happening right now and that's all you ever have to do and that's all you ever can do at the end of the day and it's more impactful than any idea of change that you'll ever think of well put 
Absolutely. And it's funny because it reminds me of a question that you were asked in the podcast recently, what is real? And what's interesting is it's almost more important to ask what is not, right? Because what is real is what is. Our thoughts of what is are not what is, right? And so there's, there's a very big difference there. But what is, is change. Change is. Reality and change are synonymous, right? So though we tend to get wrapped up in the idea of ourselves being individual, we are reality, which means that we are change. And so just sitting where you are right now, letting go of who you think you are, you are allowing a little bit more, more of what is to change. You are literally allowing the entirety of reality to shift just a little bit more because you're willing to let it do so through you. But we hold on to these ideas of who, of who we are. And so while reality is trying to shift like an ocean, we have these little bubbles that we're holding on to that just won't change because we're holding on to them, right? And as we let those bubbles go, the ocean starts to turn, things start to flow and change starts to become obvious. And so all you need to do is just keep questioning the bubble, questioning whether you need the bubble, whether you need to be protected, whether the ocean is separate from you at all. And as you do that, the flow starts to increase and change starts to become more and more obvious. And that's where we are. That's what this is all about. It's just letting go of what you think is possible, letting go of what you think there is to fear and allowing yourself to align with reality as reality. Yeah, it's almost like very, very freeing. Not almost, it is incredibly freeing to recognize that you are change. You are change manifest. Like you don't have to wake up every day and continue to tell yourself a story about what you are. You are infinite potential in every single moment. And the only thing that limits that is the idea of what you think you are, which as Ray just said, is not real. It's a complete illusion. Like it only exists inside of your mind, but it isn't the reality of what is. You don't have strengths and weaknesses. There are no things that you're good and bad at. You are just what is just because you've done something and labeled it as good or bad or or seemingly you know had something in the past that you labeled as a strength or a weakness doesn't mean that's what you are and doesn't mean that it has to limit you from the infinite potential that you are in every single moment and another thing that came up on that podcast was this idea of you know having strengths and weaknesses and it's like oh you know one of the hosts said oh we do have strengths and weaknesses cuz like you know i can only jump two feet off the ground and someone else can jump four feet off the ground. So like, that's a strength for them and a weakness for me. And my counter to that was, okay, on this planet, you perceive that to be a strength and a weakness relative to those things, but it's still only conceptual because say you go to another planet and the highest anyone can jump is six inches off the ground. All of a sudden being able to jump two feet off the ground is an incredible strength. So that and then, the, you know, their response was like, well, we're not on another planet. We're on this planet. It's like you're missing the recognition that it is conceptual. It isn't rooted in fact. It isn't the truth. It is only a perception about the reality of an action that you've taken in the past. Like even beginning to think of that as a strength and weakness, like doesn't make any sense when you see that it's merely conceptual based on your environment. So 
to be able to, in every single moment, let go of those ideas because they're always conceptual. They're always relative to the environment that you're experiencing. Any idea of what we're good and bad at, you know, they're all concept, even something like, you know, public speaking, say there, you know, on this planet, there's X amount of like, quote unquote, good public speakers, which basically is just people who have done a lot of public speaking. That's all it is at the end of the day. And so say, you know, you go to another planet and like people can't even formulate a single sentence. All of a sudden you're going to be the best public speaker out there, but we have these ideas of what is good and what is bad, what the best case outcome and worst case outcome is. And the reality is we never know. So being able to relax into the uncertainty of everything beyond right now and the uncertainty of what you are and the idea that you in fact are the eternal intelligence of existence with infinite potential in every single moment. If you can simply recognize that, which you know is simple but isn't always easy especially when you have a lot of conceptual ideas of what you think you are but if you can just work on that you will experience more freedom than any other desire to learn more or read more you know self help books or anything just recognizing in every moment that you are infinite potential and any idea you hold on to about yourself is never the truth because you are never ever 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 what you think you are you just are here and now. Yeah. And often that's dependent on your environment and, and the preferences that you've been modeled throughout your entire life. Like you were using the example of, you know, if you were on a different planet where people couldn't join, just look at even just different stages of our own life, right? Like when you were a little kid, you were lauded by your friends for acting like a clown. Well, all the adults around you went, why is he acting like that? Right. And it's because they existed in two different environments. The children existed in a conscious environment where that was something to look up to. Look at him. He's confident. Look at him. You know, he's having fun. Look at him. He doesn't, he's not afraid. Adults are in a different conscious environment going, why is he being such a tryhard? Right. And it's because we're in different states of mind. And so how we perceive it is totally different. And that's true for our reality. You could have a country where people are judged who jump four feet high because they're not more grounded because they're not acting more somber, right? Like, it really does depend, but that's something that wasn't coming across in that conversation. There was a conversation in that podcast about judgment. Like I'm not judging me, I'm judging them. And that's very much the, uh, the barrier to understanding. It's like, but you don't even see them. What you see is your assumptions of them based on your assumptions of yourself. So if you were to judge somebody who is overweight, and then I say, well, you're judging yourself. And you're well, I'm not judging myself. They're the ones that's overweight. It's like, well, okay, well, why would you have an opinion about that being negative if you didn't judge yourself that way? You wouldn't. You wouldn't have any negative opinion whatsoever if you were raised by people who told you it was okay to just be yourself regardless of your size, right? You would not judge that person because it wouldn't be coming through your own insecurity, right? Now, as you said, that's pretty easy to get. That's, that's a pretty superficial insight. Like that's not going super deep, right? But it's difficult to see if I'm still committed to the idea of myself having the value. I'm still committed to this idea that my value raises or lowers. And so I still have to compare myself. So I can't see anybody. And that was the problem you were having in that podcast. And again, you did a great job of not getting frustrated by it. Like I, I did notice a couple of times where you're just like, 
pretty sure I just covered this, but you did a good job of, of just trying to angle it a different way, trying to find that crack um, and, and in the walls. And you'll notice that that's not always easy, but ultimately you still learned. And the podcast today is benefiting from that conversation and everybody who's listening is ultimately benefiting from it. And so this again goes back to what we were saying is that as long as you're not losing your balance, right? Getting frustrated is fine. Getting a little bit of righteous indignation is fine. Standing up for what's right, protecting things that need protecting is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Right? It's just that when you lose your balance, when it goes from being something that is important to being something that's based on rage, right? that's where it becomes toxic. That's where it becomes poison or when it becomes something that's identifying you as having more value because you're in the fight. That's different. But we as a singular body can address these illnesses within us by just treating them with awareness and empathy, learning what we can from them, growing from the experience and moving on. Yeah. I think with that, like, yeah, not to pat myself on the back in any way, shape or form for that podcast episode, but I think being able to recognize everything as just process, like I, during it, it wasn't even until, as I have already mentioned, after the episode and I was able to listen back to it and sort of reflect on it, did I see all of the aspects of it that were like, oh, I guess it makes sense that I had to explain myself like five different times in different ways to try and get across the same idea. Because when I was in it, like it was just process. There wasn't anything wrong with their responses to what I was saying. And, you know, we even talked about how there is no right or wrong and they, you know, would get hung up on that and would respond in like a condescending way. Like, Oh, you're, you know, no right or wrong. Like, okay, dude, like whatever, just stay hung up on that. It's like, well, there isn't, there never is beside like everything is happening as it is. Everything is neutral. And we apply our idea of right and wrong, good and bad on top of the reality that everything just is. And so throughout that episode and throughout your life, if you're able to see everything just as process, which is a lot easier when you get your idea of yourself out of the way, life gets easier and it's, it's simply process. And I think one of the things I ran into was that on the other side of that conversation, it wasn't process. It was very much a structured, I'm sure they had I, I mean, I don't know for sure, but I'm guessing they had points prepared because even after I explained something, it was a couple of times they asked me to dig a little deeper into an idea, but a lot of times they just jumped, you know, to another topic and they had some pre pre-prepared points. And even though I was able to explain with, I think a decent level of clarity, the implications of clinging to that point of view or that idea and that idea relative to the reality of existence of experience, they, uh, they had a tough time recognizing that it was just like, Oh, I have my point and there's no way he's going to be able to refute this. Cause this is a truth. This is, this is a truth that I, I believe. And it's like, well, hold on. No, <laughs> no, it's not. It's just a concept. Like, as we talked about, you know, seven times already, and I've done my best, but I think when, you know, when you're going through something, if you're able to just see it as process and recognize that there's going to be 
even though in the moment maybe it, it's frustrating and whatever there's there's you're going to grow from it because we're constantly growing constantly changing constantly recognizing new insights but as long as you cling to the idea that you are experiencing it and you have this idea of yourself that you cling to be the truth there will be things to defend and you won't be able to flow as much with the process of the experience like that idea of yourself will always get in the way because whether it's positive or negative idea of yourself you will have something to defend and something to fear and something to worry about which takes you out of the flow out of the process of it and sort of keeps you stagnant in these very concrete ideas of the way you think you are the way you think the world is and as long as you have that idea of yourself you will act based on that as opposed to based on the reality of the moment, which is all that you ever are. Yeah. And while you were trying to describe that and explain that to a mentality that wasn't able or willing to listen to you, I was able to communicate it with one sentence where it just shook who they thought they were. First response, shots fired. It's just criticism. You're not being attacked. It's just criticism, right? And so that kind of goes in with what we've been saying this whole time is that sometimes you can get across to people just talking to them calmly. Sometimes you actually have to show them what they're still holding on to, which means being willing to not be perceived in a positive light. And that's okay because again, we're not in it for just this character. We're in it for the whole. We're in it for everyone, right? We grow together. And I'm just thinking about me being liked. That doesn't help anyone at all. And so on that note, I wanted to return to a few questions that we've had from some of our followers on Patreon and Discord before we wrap up this episode, because it is season three, and season three is going to be just amazing. We have a ton of guests lined up over the next like eight to 10 episodes already, um, including Yamsocks, who will be joining us for episode two. If you don't know Liam, uh, I definitely recommend you go and check him out on TikTok before next week's episode. It's going to be amazing in general. But what brought this up in my head was that um, upon questioning the gentleman from the podcast, he got quite upset with me and made a little post about me on Instagram calling me uh, Mr. Clean's virgin uncle, which I thought was really quite funny. But it reminded me that somebody in our Discord was asking um, about sexual energy and celibacy. And this is something that I've heard talked about numerous times over the last 20 years, uh, usually by, by men who are in their, their mid-20s, to be honest. Um, but it does come up on both ends of the spectrum, for sure. And so before I weigh in on this, um, what do you think in terms of conserving your sexual energy through celibacy or, or um, you know, not masturbating, for example, right? Basically, conserving that energy, do you think that that has an impact on your consciousness? Do you think that that has an impact on your ability to focus? And what do you think the, the danger might be of being too sexual? Oh, baby. All right. <laughs> um, mm, so I think there's a lot of ways we can take this conversation, but I think like with everything, it has to do with your mentality and the reasons that you're doing it. And I think it's similar to alcohol in that way. Like, is it 
being used like for alcohol, for example, like, is it being used as, as an escape from the reality of your experience moment to moment, or is it just being used because you want to use it and you're perfectly fine without it, but it'd be fun to drink a little and get a little drunk sometimes. And so when it comes to sexual energy, there's a, there's a whole side of spirituality that talks about this idea that, you know, you got to conserve your sexual energy, like that's where your power lies. And quite frankly, I think that's very limiting to the idea of what you actually are to think that you have to conserve this or else you'll be letting your power go. And, and that I think is comparable to the idea of vegans not eating animals because they don't want to consume the fear that the animal has while it's being killed. And it's like, okay, well, what about your energy? What about your conscious embodiment of what you are experiencing? Like, do you think you're so limited and so powerless that a de eating a dead animal is going to completely overtake all of your energy and you will be embodying a state of fear because you've eaten an animal that it was experiencing fear? It's like, or could it be that you being afraid of eating the animal is what's creating this embodiment of fear. And it's not even the animal at all. And if you begin to recognize your the reality of what you are and have faith in yourself, you, you realize that you don't have to be impacted by anything outside of yourself. You are so powerful. And I don't mean powerful in like a you know toxic masculinity way. I just mean in the recognition that you are the eternal awareness of existence, like you are intelligence manifest, like not knowledge, but the reality of infinite intelligence manifest, like that is how powerful you are. So to think that anything, whether it be releasing sexual energy or consuming a type of food or having a few sips of alcohol, if you think anything can diminish that energy, you are downplaying the reality of what you actually are. So when it comes to sexual energy, I'm sure we'll get into all other sorts of aspects of it, but just sticking to the idea in the spiritual community that you have to, you know, conserve your spiritual energy. Like, I think there's a, there's an aspect of it that's drastically diminishing the reality of how much power you hold. And that's coming from someone as well, who I was did no fap for two years. I did it. Um, yeah, 20, I don't have to give it specific dates or anything, but yeah, for, for two years. And it was a very interesting experience to say the least. Um, and there were definitely pros and cons. A lot of people only focus on the pros, but there were absolutely cons, but I'll leave it at that for now. I'm sure we'll get into a lot of other stuff. <laughs> I think it's the same as with everything. We try to make things uh, standardized or structured. This one step for everybody, you know, it's a silver bullet, one size fits all, that kind of thing, right? And um, I I've talked to people before about conserving your seed in terms of, you know, making sure you're maintaining all of your energy for awareness. And I don't know, it's, it's a ridiculous concept at the end of the day that it is somehow affecting your awareness, whereas your focus on it will affect your awareness, your focus on your sexuality as a measure of your value, your focus on your sexuality as a measure of uh, 
how you're going to be regarded by the people around you. That's going to change your focus. That's going to change what you do in your life. Like if you are focused on sexuality being a part of your identity, that's going to change how you interact with everybody. You're going to want to be looked at by everybody as attractive, and you're going to go out of your way to make sure that you're catering to everybody's perceptions because that's where you find your value. And so there's a danger there. And as I said earlier, a lot of times it's men around the mid twenties who talk to me about this specific problem. And it's because they've been raised by other men to think, oh, you gotta get the women. That's what makes you attractive. That's what makes you valuable, right? Is how many, how many women have you been with? Blah, blah, blah. And so all of a sudden it's like, I think this is affecting my awareness. It's like, yeah, but not because you need to be celibate, but because it never had anything to do with your value. It was never an environment that you needed to be in, in terms of your consciousness. It's not something that you needed to dwell upon. You just learned to, right? And so in that case, yeah, being celibate for a bit can help, right? It can remind you, oh, I'm still likable. I still like me, regardless of if I'm in bed with somebody or not, right? It gives you that opportunity to find yourself. And the same is true for just isolation, just spending time by yourself. You don't need to be celibate to do that, but it's valuable for you to do that, to recognize that you are your best friend. You're the one person who's going to be with you till the end. You may as well just come to terms with that reality, right? And so that's where that, that, that nofap celibacy, you know, saving your seed thing, I think, kind of came from was the recognition of, Jesus, I'm thinking about sex all the time. I'm not growing as a person. I'm going to quit. And then other people went, oh, he quit. We need to quit. It's like, no, that's just what worked for them, right? You can just as easily change the kind of relationships that you entertain, right? You can just as easily lower the amount of sex that you have, right? Like I remember very early on in one of my relationships, I refused to have sex for like the first three months. I was just like, no, right? Well, why? It's because I need to know this is more. You know, and thank God I did because it wasn't. So I, I dodged a bullet, right? But that was the whole point is that you have to be willing to, to put that stuff, that stuff aside. On the other hand, on the flip side, if you are in your head too much, if you do feel isolated, if you don't feel like you're connecting with people on a physical level, then you may want to explore your sexuality. You may want to explore why you don't feel comfortable being more sexual because there are lessons in that too. There are lessons in openness. There are lessons in being connected to people in that, but not if it's a need in the same way that being cerebral can become a need. If you're always up here, that doesn't help you either. Right. And so it's, it's just, it's balance. If you find yourself thinking about sex too much, take a break or wonder why, right. Start looking at what you feel you're lacking, right. Find something else, but that could be true for anything that we're addicted to anything at all. It doesn't matter if we're using it as a way to validate our own worth, it can immediately become a problem. Yeah, absolutely. And I think even people have talked about, like I've, there was one, uh, I don't know. I think I've brought up Dan Bilzerian in the past. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he's like very openly. He's basically like Hugh Hefner of our generation. Yeah. And he's been very open about the idea that he's like addicted to sex. He's, he's very much a sex addict and he lives a lifestyle where he's able to satisfy those needs all the time but he's been also very open in that it every time at this point in his life it's like 
it doesn't feel the same way as it did. Like your, your bar keeps getting raised. And that's the thing that people don't recognize as they, you know, move up in society, uh, quote unquote, societal rankings of, you know, whatever fucking identity bullshit, but the, the bar comes with them. And I listened to, this is a pretty interesting dude. And he has some actually like interesting takes. He's very much, you know, lost in the idea of himself and, and, you know, deriving value from being seen as this, you know, the peak of, of manhood type deal. But, um, he was talking about how that idea of the bar continuing to get raised. And I think I mentioned this on a previous episode in season one, but he talked about how now he can basically get with like, he's a sort of famous Instagram influencer guy travels a ton, has a bunch of money. And so he can basically get like a ton of hot girls whenever he wants. And he has this thing going on where he travels with like girls all the time and, and hooks up with them whenever he wants. But he mentioned how it, it isn't the same feeling as when he didn't have all of that surroundings and he was just, you know, in college and no one knew who he was and he was at a bar and like, thought a girl was cute, started talking to them and like started hooking up with them or, you know, however it went like that feeling that he has now isn't as high as the feeling he had back then. And so I think it's an important thing for people to recognize is that because we always strive to become that person, I'm sure there's tons of dudes, my age, younger, older, who would love to be Dambelzarian, but what they don't recognize is that the novelty of it wears off and it doesn't take that long to wear off, especially when it's, when it's very much like fleeting physical feelings and the repetitive act of doing it, like the novelty wears off quicker than you might think. So we take like spend our lives striving for this idea of, you know, getting to the peak, not recognizing that we're always in it. Like the peak is the moment that we're experiencing, but we strive for this idea, not realizing that that idea, that goal is fleeting as well. It's very fleeting. And oftentimes people work their entire lives to get there and when they get there, they feel more empty than they ever have in their life because they spent their entire life working towards that, whether it's, you know, getting with hot girls or making a bunch of money or becoming famous or getting someone to like you, or, you know, it can be literally anything. Once you get there, you realize, oh, you know, it was, I was in it the entire time. The moment was it right now is the peak always. So that's all you ever have to realize. And then you want to set goals, set goals, give yourself a direction, work towards something, but not because it's going to fulfill you or you're going to derive value from it, but because it gives you something to do and you're already more whole and complete than you'll ever possibly be in this moment right now. And the only way out of the law of diminishing returns is to appreciate where you are. That's pretty much it, right? Anything you chase will eventually just stop being what you've been chasing, 
right? It will start to become poison or it will stop being pleasurable. And then you'll need something else because you've never addressed the need to chase, right? And that's what stopped you from enjoying where you were, which kept you chasing. It's such a vicious circle. And, and I think that that's very much the point of, of everything that we've been talking about this entire time is that it isn't until you look at where you are and you stop chasing things that you're able to actually make positive change in your life and the life of everything else that is also you. And that goes individually and again for the system. We were talking about Roe v. Wade and, and the potential changes that are coming in the states. That's not going to stop unless people start addressing it, not getting angry about it, not asking somebody else to fix it, but start removing their support from the system that's making it possible. Because that's it. Whether it's generationally or habitually, we are in this system by agreement. Now, admittedly, we don't know that most of the time. If somebody came up to you now and said, hey, I have this great idea for this chunk of land that we're going to stop and we're going to call it a state and it's going to have all of these laws and you're going to have to pay taxes and you're going to have to do all that, you'd look at that person and spit in their face and walk away. You'd say, no, I'm not doing that at all because it sounds like a bad deal where I'm not necessarily empowered and you get all the benefit. But we never had that choice. We were born into this under the assumption it's always been, it will always be, and your place is within it firmly. And that's how we grew up. Except rather than looking at our place as being within it as the people who create it and sustain it, it was within it as its ward, within it as what it takes care of, a child right? You are no longer responsible. You look to us, you ask us for permission. And then some of the other children here, well, they're going to get elected to higher office where they'll be able to voice your concerns to those higher above them. And it just becomes this watered down road to everybody not getting what they want and everybody kind of settling for what the system needs, right? It's always just politics and promises for the sake of keeping the system going, for keeping the same people in power, right? And so until we start removing our agreement to be a part of that, it's very difficult to make any change because they, or the system, those who run the system, those who believe in the system, those who embody a mentality that the system caters to are not gonna change just because you want them to and because you're asking them to. You have to take out the rug that they're standing on. And that is largely your agreement, your belief in them and your willingness to use fiat currency because as we discussed, I think it was episode five or six of season one, outside of your birth certificate and your social security, which is your straw man corporation, your name, fiat currency is the other way they get you by contractual agreement. You are passing what's called value to one another on agreement alone. And that dollar bill with its signatures and the US government on it and everything else is a living contract because you're using their instruments and agreeing to be under their jurisdiction. And that is very much why getting out of fiat currency is so very important. It doesn't matter what crypto you get into. It doesn't matter how you get into it. You don't have to buy crypto. You can invest in companies that are investing in crypto technology. You can just find other ways to encourage this technology or to encourage yourself to learn about what's going to be possible with, with uh, decentralization and Web3 and beyond. You can learn about these things because it's the last thing that the system wants you to learn about. They just don't. 
And that doesn't mean go and put all your life savings in there, but it does mean start educating yourself because this is how we're going to be able to work together in a way that the system does not want us to work together because they can't control it, which means that it's an, an actual living reflection of the change that we are. So if you're interested in that, check out the recent edition of Dualistic Unity NFTs on our website. There's also a roadmap for what we have intended for our DAO. Again, it's going to be very exciting. And I want to talk more about this in next week's group chat. So if you can join us on Patreon, uh, we also have a free group chat coming up at the beginning of July. So if you can join us for that, that'd be fantastic. And if you haven't yet, definitely join us on Discord. We're almost at 380 members now. It's funny how fast it's growing. Yeah, it's fun to see for sure. And yeah, with uh, with all of it, I mean, crypto is a great way to be able to actually see, be a part of a changing environment and a changing system. And I think too, you know, talking about change and, and having impact, I think a lot of our restraint from working towards long-term change is the illusion of death as well, because we have this limited idea of ourself. We have this idea that, oh, I'm only going to be around for another, you know, 80, 60, 40 years or so. Like why, why even bother? I'm just going to, you know, do my thing and, and live my life how I want to live it. And, you know, whatever happens is whatever. And, and it's, you know, rooted in that illusion of duality. All of our, I like so many of our ideas of the way things are, are rooted in that illusion and the illusion that you are what you think you are and the illusion that you're something separate from anything and the illusion that you are not just the earth, that you are not seamlessly interconnected as co something coming from the earth as existence itself. Like it is all rooted in that. And including all of our psychological suffering, like all of what we suffer through in our mind is, is based on the idea that we are this idea that we are this thing that is separate. So that is, that is why I love talking about this because that's the root. And if we can cut the root, that is where the changes will be made and the recognition of just, you know, the, difference between truth and illusion and that when you take concepts and ideas to be the truth there's a lot of danger that comes with that and we exist in a society that strictly takes concepts to be the truth and has completely forgotten what the actual truth is the reality of the experience here and now the reality of unity the reality of a lack of division like that is what we are rooted in. So as we can recognize that we aren't that, things will naturally begin to change. But for now, everything's a manifestation of that illusion, more or less. Yeah, as long as we don't panic, everything's just fine, right? We're just dealing with it as it comes. And I find that very interesting because the more you can understand that you are reality, aware, of itself, experiencing itself, that none of this is separate, that all of this is you, your priorities do start to change. You start looking at the children that are coming after you as being you. So it's not, not my problem anymore. Now it's, that's gonna be my problem when I get a new body, 
right? That's going to be my problem when I'm growing up through puberty again. And the world is, you know, suddenly telling me I'm not good enough. And so you have to look at these repercussions of the ripples that we are continuing to perpetuate, the ripples that we're continuing to create for ourselves, right? As much as it's a good thing to say, oh, I need to be aware of what I'm doing to the world. Yes and no, there's a danger there in that you start looking at it as the world. And that removes the priority, right? And as soon as you see it as yourself, that motivates you in a totally different way, which I find very interesting, especially looking at the Jesus story. Because there are points in that story where it's almost like you're listening to somebody with multiple personality. On the one hand, he's Jesus, son of man. On the other hand, he's the way, the truth, and the life. And so he was both identifying as the character in, in some places, and then as the whole in the others. And I thought that's incredibly interesting and it would be so very difficult to ride that line and not be misunderstood, right? Which is, I, I guess, why he had a posse. You know, he had a crew of people who like got him for the most part. And he's like, I'm gonna hang with them. And then it started getting bigger and more and more people started listening not to him, but to what was being said, because that's the important part. Nobody's ever listening to anyone else. Everybody's only, only listening to their perception of what's being said, right? We're always listening to ourselves at the end of the day, right? And so this is something that gets me very excited in terms of the dualistic unity retreat that's coming up in November, because that retreat is going to be an opportunity for us to do very much the same thing, sit together knowing that we're all one talk together knowing that there's nothing to defend there's nothing to fear there's nowhere to go it's just a celebration of what we are it's going to be just an epic retreat and i hope anybody listening to this get your tickets as soon as you can uh, they're going to be available on the website publicly as of july 1st right now they are available only on patreon uh, just because our supporters pay for early access and so of course we wanted to make sure that they had an opportunity to get their tickets uh, there are about half the tickets remaining though so definitely get on this on july 1st if you can we'd love to see you there it's going to be amazing absolutely it's going to be fucking awesome i'm so pumped and yeah going back i want to maybe maybe in a future episode talk more about the the jesus story and the idea of identifying both dualistically and in a unified sense and like towing that line because that's almost you know going back to that chump change episode i felt like that's what was happening was almost they were trying to get me on things where it was like, are we talking about the illusion of duality or are we talking about the reality of unity? And they were trying to like take the ideas that I was discussing, recognizing unity and then pulling it into the illusion of duality or like vice versa. And it got to a point toward later, I should have done it earlier, but I was like, guys, like, we can keep going in this way, or we can recognize that there's the reality of unity and the illusion of duality. And yes, we can talk about both of them, but if you're going to keep trying to bring 
it's not to say that you can't bring them together. Like we're always doing that, but it's like, yes, I recognize that I am Andrew, but that doesn't take away from the fact that I'm also everything else. And to a degree, Andrew is real, but also he isn't like it's both and neither. Like it's a gray area, like everything. And, and they wanted to cling to this idea that there was just one thing you had to, you're either Andrew or you're not. And it's like, well, I'm, I'm both. I'm, I am this idea that you perceive inside of your mind. And I'm also you perceiving the idea of me at the same time. Like it's deep, it's fucking deep as shit, dude. And we weren't able to get there because they kept trying to, you know, prove me wrong and stuff. And it's like, it goes so, 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 so deep. And you can't cling to concepts and ideas if you want to get any depth whatsoever. If you're fine staying in the shallow end forever or not even getting in the pool, quite frankly, cling to concepts, cling to ideas. But if you want to get deeper, you got to recognize the illusion that they are. And so that was, yeah, that was an interesting process of trying to balance those things. But yeah, I think I think it's it's just all about, and that's how I finished the episode. They asked if if they changed my mind with anything. And it was like, you guys didn't even say anything, hardly. You just tried to prove me wrong about everything. And I logically explained basic recognitions of reality that you didn't even listen to, and then just like stayed in the superficial and stayed in the shallow. And so that when they asked me that, I said. I didn't really, I kind of took a while to respond because I didn't want to be a total ass. All I said was, I think it's just important to recognize that there is the reality of unity and there is the illusion of duality. And if you take those illusions and those concepts to be the truth, they can be very dangerous. And that's pretty much how the episode ended. And that's it. It's not even that crazy of a thing to say it's a basic recognition but that's pretty much a, a summary of of the podcast and you know clinging to illusions and ideas are never going to be the truth as much as you may want them to be they never ever are and there's a lot of depth that can be discussed when you're able to let go of those things and stop holding on then how do i feel good about myself knowing how do I hold on to an answer? And that's very much what is frustrating about this conversation. More than a few people have, have expressed that to me over the years is that there's nothing you settle on. Correct. You got it right. You know, I, I know one uh, response that I got from the, the co-host of that podcast was, well, you guys are contradicting the concepts that you're teaching. If we're all one, why are you criticizing me? And I could have answered, but it's more important. Well, why don't you try and think about it, right? How can we be all one and still be communicating with one another? Because there's a lot there. Like you could, you could look at that for a long time and go, oh, so it's both and neither, right? Because that's the point. It's both and neither. Like if you pointed at your arm and said, this is my arm. And I said, no, that's you. And you went, no, it's my arm. We're both correct right? It's just what you're focused on in terms of dividing it into segments, 
right? And that's kind of what you're trying to get across is that, you know, yeah, I'm my arm, right? But I'm also the whole damn body, right? Which you are not looking at because you're busy focused on yourself being the other arm, right? And that being how you establish your value, right? And that's very much the important part of any of these conversations, including those from people who would tell you, you don't have a right to have abortion, have an abortion, or you don't have the right to marry somebody of the same gender or the same sex. Any one of those people recognize where they're coming from, recognize the insecurity that that comes from. Don't argue with them, tear it down, right? Bring them down to your level where you can talk to them and they probably won't enjoy it. In fact, they'll probably run away and vilify you for doing so. But that's what Andrew was saying in terms of this not being a short-term strategy. This isn't a one-lifetime thing. This is us as a whole, rolling up our sleeves and taking it seriously, addressing the change because it's important to us, individually as one. That's all this is about. But we can't do that so long as we're asking others for permission, viewing them as having power over us rather than being an extension of the power that we've exercised for generations, although not necessarily from a state of awareness. It really just, just comes back to us recognizing our power, coming together and changing ourselves because that's the only way all of this changes. And on that note, we're at the two hour mark. We're gonna, we're gonna cut this short because I'm sure we could talk for another half hour to 45 minutes easily, but of course that would make this a very long episode. And we have so much more to talk about in season three. So definitely join us on Patreon if you've made it this far through the episode. Patreon is where it's at. I cannot express this enough. All of our best conversations are in our groups. These podcast episodes are great because Andrew and I just kind of get to go back and forth. Admittedly, we got a lot of out of our system this time around because we had this big break between seasons, but we never stopped having the group conversations on Patreon. And every one of them, the recordings get posted to Patreon after the fact. So right now, I think we're almost at 60 or 70 hours of additional content on our Patreon page. Don't miss out. It's only $5 a month. It's absolutely worth it. And of course, you're helping us in the ripples that we are going to continue to create as we go through season three and beyond. Because as we said in season one, we have lofty ambitions and no particular end result in mind. I'm here for the long haul. Me too. Amen. Yeah. It's, uh, oh, it's, it was fun. And even, you know, the past two weeks doing the, doing the group chats, it's like, those are essentially podcast episodes. It's just, you're in the room with us and you get to be a part of the conversation. Like that's one of the most fun parts. Usually they start off with Ray and me just going back and forth. Like we do on the podcast. It's basically a podcast episode with like a bunch of other people on the zoom call as well. And then eventually people start either in the chat or via voice asking questions and, or having their own insights. And it's not even always questions. A lot of times it's just expressing their own insights. And we, like we go back and forth here, we, go back and forth with everyone on the call and, and just alternate going speaking and having insights. And it's a ton of fun. And I've really enjoyed them. I've, I've said for a while that it's probably up there with my favorite form of content, just doing the live, the live group chats, because everyone gets 
a ton out of them, not the least of which being us. I think we may get the most out of them as much as it's fun to have everyone else involved in the conversation. It's awesome to get other people's perspectives and experiences and questions that we can discuss live, not even necessarily answer, but just go back and forth about. So yeah, if you're not on Patreon yet, definitely hop in there because that'll only get more and more fun and enjoyable. And uh, yeah, that's all I got. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely by far my, my favorite thing because it is an example of the type of communication that we've been talking about throughout this episode. Everybody who comes to these group chats are coming there with an awareness of the mentality that we're talking about and trying to embody. And so we've had people join us in the group chats who were a little anxious about talking, who felt a little anxious about appearing on video. And over time, they've spoken more and more. Over time, they've become really quite relaxed to one degree or another within that group. And of course that ripples out into the rest of their life. And it inspires everybody else who maybe hasn't figured out how to face that fear in themselves yet. And so the groups are, are exactly what we're talking about. They're how we work together as one by just letting down our walls. And so on that note, that is the, uh, that is the intention behind season three is that we are going to continue to grow together as one and we're very excited that you are here to join us and we look forward to seeing you next week for episode two hi everyone <laughs>